Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Champions League qualification is edging closer. A disheartening draw at Tottenham Hotspur threatened to derail matters slightly, but a well-deserved victory at home to high-flying Aston Villa restores Manchester United's grip on a spot in the Premier League's top four. Captain Bruno Fernandes scoring the decisive goal at Old Trafford. United women took on Villa this weekend too in a brilliant couple of days for the club all round. Millie Turner scoring a 93rd minute winner to maintain United's title hopes and keep them three points clear at the top of the Women's Super League. The under-21s played out an entertaining 2-2 draw with Spurs while the under-18s frenetic late-season fixture schedule continued with a thrilling 4-3 win away at Sunderland, including another goal for the exciting emerging young prospect Shay Lacey. A very warm welcome to the Manchester United Weekly Podcast with me, Harry Robinson and Jack Tate, where we'll be reacting to all of that and more. And before we begin, thank you to our patrons who help make this podcast possible. So that's a thank you to Adam, Anthony, Arman, Christopher, Craig, Damien, David, Dio, Don, Ethan, Havard, Josh, Corey. Malcolm, Marek, Matt, several Michaels, Mod, Reed, Simon, Alex, Steve, Ted, and Tony. So thank you to all of you. Jack, it's a, a really good win. And Villa manager Unai Emery, who's done a ridiculously good job since he arrived there, as we uh, as was made all too clear when we played them just after he arrived back in, I think it was November. Emery said afterwards that we deserved to win that game and, and we did and <laughs> thank God we did because there's been games we've deserved to win this season which we haven't a, a game that has become a lot more tricky in the last month or so a couple of months Villa have been on pretty amazing run I'm pretty sure this is the first time they've been stopped from scoring since Emery took over which in itself is you know no no mean yeah. feat whatsoever I, to be honest I thought this was a game where the way that Villa set up suited us down to the ground. And on another day, I don't feel like we created loads of, you know, really great opportunities, but it felt like we were, we were very close to creating a lot of great opportunities on six or seven or eight occasions throughout the game. You know, mm. they were playing an insanely high line, like almost like Liverpool-esque of the last couple of years. Yeah. And it was so obvious that our, what our game plan was from the, you know, the first few minutes of the game, we never quite managed to execute it properly. Even the goal, which sort of came from their high line, just came from a defensive header that went through to Rashford. We weren't able to capitalise on that. And then I think we were really poor in trying to see out the game. But especially after what happened on Thursday at Spurs, which we'll get onto later, really, really important win and should see United all but sewn up in the top four now. Yeah, it should do. There's still, still plenty of work to be done. And Liverpool's... Momentum has continued with that that ridiculous game against Spurs, a 4-3 win for them at Anfield. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's looking pretty positive now. I think the next two games are still Brighton and West Ham will will be... I think United can get away with a couple of maybe surprise defeats in the next few weeks and still get into the top four, but but we'll see. And yeah, you're right. United's tactics were very clear, uh, trying to exploit that high line from Villa. And... It was an interesting one, wasn't it? Because Emery said after United deserved to win and that he was a bit disappointed. And I I would imagine that he was he, he didn't regret those tactics because as you say, we didn't exploit it 
that well all the time. There was offside after offside after offside, particularly in the first half. Uh, and there were plenty of chances where the ball was good, but not quite good enough. Or the ball was ideal, but the control was just off from Rashford or whoever. And Rashford worked so hard at the amount of runs he was doing. He was picked out a lot of the time. He was not picked out even more of the time and he just kept going and going and that helped to stretch Villa. But so it was that weird one where it almost paid off for Villa and United didn't exploit it to the absolute maximum, but we, we did do enough. How do you think he'll, Emery will review that tactic, tactic against United? Because on the face of things, it's a crazy thing to do given Rashford's pace and kind of explosive ability off the shoulder of the defence. I mean, I, I think he'd probably look at it and say, ultimately, we only conceded one goal and they didn't really have too many other chances. But to, to me, I, I don't think the high line itself was the problem for Villa. I think the, the problem really was that they, coupled with the high line, they weren't really putting us under any pressure when we had the ball. Yeah. You know, normally when you, when you play such a high line, this is what Liverpool have been so good at over the last few years, when you play such a high line, you need to be putting a team under a lot of pressure when they have the ball. Because otherwise, it's far too easy for a player just to, you know, a, a player with pretty good vision, it's too easy for them to, you know, get a couple of seconds on the ball and, and ping 50-yard passes over the uh, high line all the time. Yeah. I think that was really what the downfall for Villa was. And it suited us down to the ground because it meant, you know, our weakness, as has been shown up, a lot recently is trying to build out from the back when we're under pressure. I mean, the players like De Gea and Lindelof, Dallo, Malassia weren't under any huge amount of pressure. We were very easily able to get the ball into midfield. And then Ericsson, Casemiro, Bruno Fernandes really had something of a field day, just, yeah. you know, constantly ball after ball after ball going over the top of Villa. And again, we, we didn't capitalise on it. And it's not even... It's not even the kind of, kind of game where you think, you know, United just missed loads of chances because we... we we didn't sort of even get to that point. We just yeah, the final the build ball up was to off, that. It, it was never executed properly. It wasn't even just the final ball. Actually, it was the it was kind of the final two balls. Often seemed to to just be off, and we lacked a bit of that. Uh, we've complained about this with Sancho recently, and we'll come on to his goal at Tottenham when we talk a bit about that game, which is hopefully another one of those building blocks towards him becoming the player we know he could be. But we've complained about this with Sancho. It felt that a bit in United's attack overall that kind of lacking a, that final bit of decisiveness as to whether to shoot or pass at the other end a, a series of incredible blocks to keep Villa out some of them incredibly fortunate De Gea once Lindelof several times although the, the most kind of memorable one from Lindelof Villa were actually offside for that but it's is it fortune or actually is it that we're very good defending at home because with the fewest goals conceded at home in the Premier League now with just eight and our home record is just it's brilliant and it's <laughs> it's so nice compared to last season. I mean, it's a complete and utter sea change. I, I was trying to think about the last time United had a really sort of imperious home record. And it, it feels like it's been a long, long time because obviously during, even during the, the sort of COVID year of 2020-21, we were really good away from home and on that record-breaking away run, unbeaten away from home. But at, at home, we weren't so great and obviously home advantage sort of went by the wayside then anyway with no fans in the stadium. Even before that, I don't remember us being particularly great at home. Last season, we were obviously terrible at home you know this is I think especially for a flawed team which United obviously still are if you can be really strong at home it it buys you so much in terms of leeway for poor results in trickier situations United's away form yeah. especially against the top half 
you know, has been pretty woeful this season. Yeah, and yet, given it, it our, hasn't. Our, our, our draw at Spurs was our best result against the <laughs> away at a top six team. Yeah. I, I think it's even, it even goes down to like a top eight team, I think, in the table now, because we've also lost to Villa. We haven't played Brighton yet, but lost to Liverpool. It's, you know, it's been really bad. And yet we've, we've got away with it because if you can make that home form so strong, the harder games coming away from home... You can't afford to lose them in the, you know, it's still three points dropped, but in terms of making top four, despite being such a flawed team, the home form has really just bought us so much leeway and margin for error that we probably weren't expecting to have six or seven months ago. Yeah, I think it's a combined thing, isn't it? That a part, a part of it is the midfield is just so much more settled and that three, it was slightly different against Villa because Fernandez playing on the right wing, but just the presence of Fernandez, Casemiro and Eriksen and even, no matter where Fernandez is playing, Casemiro and Eriksen has that that too you just feel so comfortable with it and it, it's a bit of a problem we'll come on to this because Ericsson doesn't seem able to play 90 minutes in every game and when he goes off United often seem to lose that control there's no suitable understudy for him in the team at the moment and and that's having a, a negative impact when he does have to go off and we've not sewn the game up but there's a combined thing of that that settled midfield the defence is, is vastly improved and Shaw and Lindelof were, were very good again Lindelof's an interesting one we'll come on to as well but you've also got this bite in the United team now and I thought that was particularly important because too often in past seasons teams have come to Old Trafford and kind of been able to shit out their way to a draw or victory or make things really uncomfortable and Aston Villa did that last season and have done several times um, and plenty of other teams have, have as well Villa are a really good shithouse team the difference under Emery is that they're their kind of ratio of shit house to quality is is more balanced. Whereas under Gerard, the only thing they had to them was that shit houseery. But United gave it back. Just a, a whole series of moments where it, that kind of just make you smile as a fan. Where Shaw was getting stuck in and Casemiro came out afterwards and just shook him kind of passionately, as if to say, "Yeah, well done." Uh, Bruno and Sancho had a bit of an argument on the pitch. Bruno and Casemiro had an argument at full time. Uh, some crunching Malassia tackles. Shaw uh, g- giving a little push and a shove at the end. Just lots of little moments where you thought, "Yeah, this is." There's just a bit of bite to this United team, and you need that when. United didn't have that and too often teams were coming to Old Trafford and they just weren't scared and they were able to impose their kind of they brought United down to the level but now United feel like they've just got a there's a real sense of control to our home performances that that kind of teams are coming to our home and we're setting the scene and that wasn't the case until this season and and I think what you just said kind of sums up why the home and away form have have been quite so different because that ability to not get dragged down to another team's level, I think has been a really key part of why we've been good at home because we have been able to dictate the game on our terms, which is exactly what you want to do when you go into any game and you feel like, you know, you're the team with sort of the, the better quality on the pitch. I think United haven't been able to do that really to any degree in these big away matches, not even big away matches, just a lot of away games, even the ones that we have won against teams in the bottom half, you know, off the top of my head, thinking about Wolves, Leicester, Southampton, you know, these were all quite uncomfortable games where United certainly didn't have any measure of control, but did manage to come out of the, the game with a 1-0 win. The, that is where the improvement needs to come, but at home, we, we do seem to have that ability to be able to control the game. Exactly why that is, is probably a combination of, of confidence, of just the size of the pitch, but also the way that other teams play against us. I think other teams are a lot less aggressive when they play away. And as we just discussed with Villa, 
when we don't get put under much pressure, you know, we, we sort of thrive in that environment. environment. That, so that's kind of my, my key point is, yes, you're right. I think kind of what you're saying is the next stage for United will be to be able to impose that control away from home. Right. Yeah. But the difference is that teams were coming to Old Trafford really confident that they could kind of upset the apple cart and get a, a, a shock victory that would dominate the newspaper headlines for however many days. And that isn't the case now. And teams now come to United and uh, again, kind of respect the opposition and, and where they're playing and are a bit scared of what could happen. And so they don't go for these all out kind of high press that will, will then in theory, we might be able to get through, but in past years has actually just caused us loads of problems and we've ended up losing. Yeah. It, it, I mean, you have bad home form for a little while. And, and to be honest, this even goes back all the way to like 2013 after Sir Alex Ferguson retired, because in that one season, you completely lost that sense of almost imperial imperiousness yeah. that Old Trafford had where teams would come and they would, they would play quite scared from the outset because that was what... That was what United had built up over a number of years. We sort of lost that. And because the home form, even in, when we've had relatively good home form in the past, it's never been as, it's never been good enough to, to sort of stop that vicious cycle that that creates where you start to play worse. So teams then get more confident and they play more aggressively. And so then that makes you play even worse because they're setting up in a way that makes it more difficult for you to play. So then you have worse results. And so that cycle keeps them repeating. And we've never had a season where our, since 2013, where our home form has got back to a level where teams start feeling like with you know very little chance we're going to come out of this with a, with any any points the best we can hope for is to you know be a little bit more timid and just hope that we can hold on and maybe score on the counter attack and I'm not saying we're fully back there but if you can get back there it creates no. the opposite where you get sort of this virtuous cycle where your home form has yeah. been so good that teams then do sit back a little bit more. They sort of allow you more time and space and then your home form improves again because teams are making it easier for you to play and then your quality can kind of show up on the pitch. So, and like I said, I don't think United are, are fully back there yet, but we have certainly taken some big steps to getting away from, I think, well, how we've been in the last four or five years. I mean, the home form, I think we've kept 10 clean sheets. We've only conceded eight goals. We haven't lost since the opening day at Brighton. I think in that time we've had three draws. <laughs> mad, mad. We've, we've only conceded eight goals and we conceded seven at Anfield. Six <laughs> at the Etihad away from home. I know. Which, yeah, just ridiculous. You, you spoke about kind of the players being able to show their best and Fernandes did that in, in both games against Spurs and against Villa this week. Uh, Casemiro was back to his best after a few more average performances. I thought this was a really just an infallible performance in defence and attack from him. And that's part of the reason for United's good home form, isn't it? It's just Casemiro is really, really good. Um, and Lindelof is a, it keeps being a very interesting case. Man of the match performance in the FA Cup semi-final. Scored the winning penalty, but also just a great performance. And this was another really good performance next to Shaw. Excellent again, and he has been for you know a couple of weeks now. Really, I say a couple of weeks. That doesn't feel like a long enough time, but we've probably played six games, games in, in, those, in those two yeah. weeks. Yeah, I mean, he's he's been very good. He's come in and he's he, he's just been very solid and very consistent. And I think he probably looks better in in contrast to Maguire, who has obviously been making quite high profile mistakes. But you know, Lindelof has always been, I think, a defender who he sort of cruises along at. You know, a, a pretty good, not world class, but good level. He's had a few mistakes here and there, but he's not a defender that you would sort of categorize as being mistake prone. I think he's the perfect defender to be 
you know, a high level backup to a quality set of centre backs, especially when one of those is someone as injury prone as Varane. Yeah. You know, Lindelof can come in and, and perform very well, and he has done. I, I don't think, you know, maybe it's been a surprise that he's strung so many of these performances together in a row and in, you know, big makeshift back fours. You know, he's been play, playing alongside Shaw for a while, even when he was alongside Maguire. Dallow was at left back. You know, the, to be honest, the defence against Villa was probably the most normal defence that he's played in in the last month yeah. at any point when he has come into the team. But I mean, the performances themselves, I don't think they're that surprising. Lindelof's always been a good defender. It's just that I don't know if we feel like, I don't think we feel that he is capable of being a world-class defender, which is ultimately what we are striving to have. Yeah, it's a very interesting one because he... He seems like he might be the perfect Varane understudy for next season. Yeah. But we could also get quite a decent price for him in the summer and he might be easier to sell than Maguire. And then there's the other side of it where he might be thinking, given these performances, I'm a top level centre-back and I should be playing every week for a team, not necessarily for a team quite of United status, but I should be playing every week for a Champions League side. And I could be kind of a key player for one of those teams. But overall, he's just, he's a squad player who's actually pulling his weight and United haven't done enough of that recently. There's still, compared to Varane Lindelof, there was, uh, Varane and Martinez, sorry, there was still some notable kind of lack of quality. So uh, Lindelof made some great blocks, but United were trying again and again to find that ball over the top to Rashford, Sancho or Sabitzer sometimes or Bruno. And you felt Martinez could have had a field day with that just kind of pinging those diagonal balls over the top and neither Shaw was great again and just so composed and calm at the back and he's such a good player and he was against Tottenham as well while everyone else kind of dropped their level in the second half same with Fernandes he was great as well while everyone else kind of dropped but I think with Shaw and Lindelof you're missing that quality of passing from Martinez so it's not to say it's just as good but they are stepping in very well I think the key concern if if you're going to have one from the Villa game was that continued concern that we're failing to kill games off and that makes for some very nervy final moments with that free kick right at the end for Villa compared to Thursday where we failed to kill the game off and we were kind of justly punished for it Tottenham deserved to get back into the game and they did so what did, I mean, it was an incredibly frustrating evening. I think that people kind of got over the next day because it realised that actually a draw in that result, in that game was, was okay for our hopes of finishing third or fourth. But it was really frustrating. What were your main conclusions from it? I think my main takeaway from the Spurs game was that, again, we go back to this, this thing we were just talking about before of being able to control games away from home and not just away from home, but in particular when when we're sort of up against it, when a team is being quite aggressive in their tactical setup, when the crowd is on our backs, when the game is sort of going away from us. And I think that was the case even before we conceded the first goal to Spurs. I just, I felt that from the start of the second half, we sort of let Spurs have a few moments here and there that got the players and the crowd back into the game after being, you know, that was, I think we talked about the Spurs game after the, uh, what was last week, the FA Cup semi-final? <laughs> I'm losing track of the, losing track of the weeks. After the semi-final, you know, we talked about how the Spurs stadium, if we could get an early lead, was going to be quite a toxic place. And it was. Yeah. You know, we we created a really, really not good atmosphere, especially scoring on the stroke of half time. And all we did, all we managed to do at the start of the second half was turn that around, and we got the fans back on side for Tottenham by being quite passive, allowing them just a few moments of good play here and there. 
And then to me, the, the big tactical thing was it came back to the fact that we aren't good enough to play possession-based football when we're under any kind of pressure. And I think that, because what, that's what you need in those moments. You just need, you need two minute spells to keep the ball. Doesn't matter if you, if you go and end up creating a good yeah. chance. You need a two minute spell, you keep the ball, you sort of take the sting out of the game and you don't let that momentum build. I'm, I'm not a huge believer in momentum sort of actually changing games, but I am a big believer in players and fans' confidence completely shifting when they have, you know, moments of good play happening again and again and again. And there wasn't a single point in that second half, really until after we conceded the equaliser when we started then pushing for a winner, where United yeah. exerted any amount of control, sort of stopped that Spurs wave that was coming Which out. Was, and, compared to the first half, like it was such a it was a really controlled performance. Yeah. And really bright. And we actually got the two goals that we deserved from it, but we should have done more. They were there to be really taken apart as yeah. they were in, in their previous match against Newcastle, but we failed to do that. I thought there were a couple of key things in the changes in the second half where the combination of Ericsson coming off and losing that control in possession and then Anthony coming off and I thought that really affected the team's balance. Yeah. Both of those players are too, there aren't any suitable understudies to come and replace them. They're quite unique in, in what they offer to the team, even if they're not having their best days, just the, their basic kind of attributes are, are pretty unique compared to the rest of the squad the subs were bad Molassie looked well off it Fred was well off it Martial was well off it there were proper like two out of ten substitute performances Molassie did recover he played a lot better against Aston Villa there were some really big challenges to restore his confidence but is is the failure to kill games off I know you're speaking about control but we should be scoring more as well that's oh, yeah, really yeah. how you kill games off is, is it because United just looked like they lacked so much energy until the equaliser against Spurs and then we tried to kind of go and find a winner? Is it is it energy? Is it tiredness? Is it finishing? Is it tactics? What do you put it down to? Because I think I, I, I'm torn because I think Ten Hag has to take some responsibility because it's not that there's one kind of overall criticism, but I'm sure he'll be looking at these thinking, how can I manage these better to get, uh, to, to keep these leads or to extend our leads and, and looking at the subs he's making because the subs were a bit off against Spurs in the same way they were a bit off at Newcastle recently. But I also think he's trying to now rotate a bit to manage this mad fixture schedule. So I'm, I'm very willing to cut him that slack. But it, it just looked a tired second half performance from United and that's not really acceptable. So it's excusable, but not acceptable. Someone had to step up and... <laughs> I mean, tiredness is obviously the sort of most obvious and easiest culprit here to to blame. I, I don't know if I, if I watched that second half and thought we looked tired per se. I didn't feel like we were sort of struggling to, you know, be part of duels. I didn't feel like we were fatigued in the way that we, we were playing. I felt like it was more just that we were getting overrun by Spurs in, and, and just that our we didn't have any sort of structure to our play. I, I, I felt, felt was the more important thing. I thought Spurs were sort of thriving on this quite chaotic game and we'd stopped it from becoming that in the first half. You know, that is sort of the way that Spurs play against big teams. They like to create this kind of chaotic game and they obviously want a very, very good side on the break and transition. And I felt like we just let them have that, those opportunities way too often. I'm sure tiredness did play a part of it. And I think you've, you've got to look at that at least to some degree, given that our second half performances haven't been very good, probably in 60, 70% of our games over the last month or so, which obviously will lead you towards thinking that tiredness and fatigue is an issue. But I didn't watch that second half at Spurs and think, oh my God, we look you know so tired and so out on our feet, which I have done during some other games this season. Yeah. 
fair enough. Uh, we better move on. Finally, Do you know, before we go on to that, can I say one one other thing as well? Yeah. I think obviously the the Spurs game will get all the the sort of headlines and all the conversation about it because we actually let that lead slip. But I actually thought the way we managed the Villa game was just as bad, if not worse, in the, those last twenty minutes. Again, I, I really hated Ten Hag subs. I, I I really really don't like this uh, this way of trying to see out games by just sort of hanging back, letting a team attack you for 10, 15 minutes straight at the end of a game and trying to hang on. I know that we did hang on in the end and Villa didn't really have too much in the way of, you know, great chances, but we invited that pressure way more than we needed to, you know, bringing Maguire on, going yeah. five at the back at the end, bringing Ericsson off was was okay. But I also felt like we ended that game with a, with a front line of Anthony playing on the left, Rashford up front and Bruno Fernandes on the right. Arguably all three of them playing somewhat out of position, especially Anthony and Bruno Fernandes. You know, I felt like that game was absolutely crying out to get Bruno in the number 10 role, give him the extra sort of freedom to play those balls over the top. Again, it won't get the sort of headlines because we actually did see out the game, but I still think Ten Hag has a lot to answer for in the way that he managed the end of that game, even against Villa, despite the fact that we did. Yeah, it's interesting, is it? Because so much of it to me feels that the way that Ericsson fades games, fades out of games and has to be replaced at 60 or 70 minutes. He yeah. just, that, that, ha- that changes the way United plays it and it has to. And Anthony too, like you mentioned it in the Spurs game. I know Kane, who's been comes on the podcast sometimes, he's been big on this too throughout the season that so many times when Anthony comes off too, we just completely lose that balance on the right-hand side. Yeah. And you just think, we saw when Ericsson was out injured for that prolonged spell, United did change the way we played a bit um, and we've seen it with other players and it's it's just that fragility to this team still that the the subs and the fringe players can come in and play well but even if they play well it, it changes United's style because Ten Hag's gone been so yeah. pragmatic this yeah. season which is a good thing but that's kind of a, a room for progress in the future Let's talk about the, the process quickly. Uh, they were significant. The march was great. I thought they were done very well. The 18-minute boycott didn't work uh, at all. I don't think it was ever going to. It's continually been shown to be a poor idea with no evidence that it'll work. Boycotts like that at the start of games, it just doesn't. Or it needs better um, communication if it is going to work. I think... There are plenty of alternatives you can look at. Some people have suggested a, a post-match sit-in would be one example with the cameras still there. But even though the 18-minute the boycott didn't work, the March pre-match was great from, from the centre of Manchester to Old Trafford. It got great attention and the songs throughout kept it high on the agenda and stopped it from being an exclusively pre-match issue. And um, personally, that's the kind of most consistently I've heard songs throughout, uh, anti-Glazer songs throughout a a game kind of every it was every probably every three or four minutes was a a renewed glazer out thing um they are very regularly in all home games but this was just a a little bit of a a step up i was quite torn on on this because it's a it's a very strange situation right now where none of the scenarios are at all satisfactory everything feels like it i mean all of it feels like a bit of a nightmare the combination of kind of glazer staying in a minority role or even retaining a bit of control with sir jim ratcliffe that's not good i'm very opposed to united being used for soft powered sports washing so very anti-guitar in in their takeover bid any combination of it all seems very bad and 
uh, I'm a bit concerned by the the exclusively glazer out message of the protest, which I would have I have agreed with for all of these 18 years. But right now, given the specific scenario, it just feels a bit. I don't know. I'm 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 feeling like too much of it is a pro Qatar takeover rather than an anti Glazer takeover. But as an, a standalone protest, this one was good. I've had some concerns with it in the past, but this one was was good, and the message was loud and clear and received across the newspapers and TV coverage, which is good because it isn't always. Oh uh, yeah, I mean the the protest itself was very very well done, and full credit to everyone. I think that showed up because the numbers were definitely a lot bigger than. Almost any other f- football protest I can, at least sort of one club football protest I can remember in recent years. I think on the ownership more generally, yeah, I I've, I feel very conflicted at the moment, to be perfectly honest, because it feels like you know whatever option we go down is going to be com- completely corrupt for for the club in one way or another. Whether it's because we aren't actually getting the Glazers out, or or because United is now going to be used as a, a, a pawn in sort of this the worldwide game of of politics and sort of PR that you know is obviously happening around the world. I I don't really know what the the best option is to be honest I feel like every couple of hours my mind shifts a little bit but it's it's never I I, I never feel like I've I'm happy with either option that's on the table The key point isn't it is that and I can't I think uh, bearded genius on Twitter might tweet this a few people have reflected this same sentiment that whatever you think you should not be cheerleading any set of billionaires coming in to take control of your football club it's just a mad thing to do it's and to be actively cheerleading for someone who I don't think has your best interests at heart either of the two main competitors to buy United do not have your best interests as a fan at heart is is the wrong thing to do. There was a very pertinent tweet from Irk Ilwell on Twitter who said, Glazer ownership at United will be bookended by the formation of FC United, that's the breakaway club, after the Glazer takeover and the supine cheerleading for state ownership. There can't ever have been a greater decline in the values of a support, which I thought was, um, yeah, pretty pertinent and summed up my feelings, basically. Um, There are people already, there's a United against Sports Watson group already that, um, is is beginning to kind of put some voices and some information to the, uh, I think the minority, I think it is, who oppose Qatari takeover of United. I think, I think we are in the minority, which is interesting. I'm sure there'll be people listening to this who think who are all in for Qatar taking over. You're allowed to have opinions. That's how it works. But yeah. Mine is, is uh, it would be a very bad thing. Uh, we're going to go into a page Q&A and then we'll be doing, we'll talk about United women's massive win, um, last minute win. We'll be talking about the two academy games, some lonely news, and then we'll be previewing the games against Brighton and West Ham. But first, our patron exclusive Q&A. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, 
even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, let's get stuck into our roundups, uh, beginning with United Women, for whom victory against Aston Villa took our lead at the top of the WSL to six points. It's since been closed to three by Manchester City, who have played the same number of games as United. Chelsea, crucially, remain in control of the title race. They have three games in hand and trail United by seven points. United have just three games remaining against Tottenham this Sunday. City on the 21st of May at home, that's a massive game and Liverpool on the 27th of May to end the season away from home. In between the games against Spurs and City, we played Chelsea in the FA Cup final at Wembley. So it really is the the biggest few weeks in the history of this team since their long-awaited reformation in 2018. It wasn't easy, this win. Uh, normally a resolute defensive side, United were frail at Aston Villa, undone early on by a looping ninth-minute header from the experienced Rachel Daly. It was the first goal the team had conceded from set pieces this season and it was a vulnerability that stretched across the evening, really. Villa also hit the bar soon after that from a very similar cross and header. United level through Leah Golton, a brilliant on a Batier assist from right back, tearing forward down the right wing before a deep cross for Golton to finish at the back post. But uh, Villa led again before half time. Rachel Daly again, a left wing cross this time and a left footed finish across Mary Up's goal, her 17th goal of the season for Rachel Daly. I think she's the WSL top scorer and she was only denied a hat trick by the crossbar. United could, uh, could really do with her clinical quality. That being said, Nikita Paris made no mistake after 62 minutes to level the score once more. A bullet head at the back post and then it was a long wait but the winner eventually did come the final chance Zalem's delivery and there's Turner incredible Millie Turner has stepped off the bench to win the game for Manchester United and they are heading six points clear at the top of the table in the most dramatic circumstances possible. Off the bench late on in the 87th minute, Millie Turner headed home from Katie Zellum's cross, sparking wild, um, justified wild celebrations, rightly so, coming from behind twice to extend your advantage at the top of the table. That'll certainly do. Uh, for the academy, um, a very busy period for the under-18s. Four games in 11 days, five games in 14 days, and in that spell they've lost 3-1 at home to City. They've beaten Leeds by the same scoreline, beat Middlesbrough 2-0 away from home, and then drawn 2-2 at home to Wolves. Uh, it's, it's a very different kind of run from mid-season when there's often a game only once every two weeks, um, and it's a Pretty. This happened last season as well. It's a quite a good time to find out about character and fitness. Shay Lacey has had a, a couple of moments of magic, especially his goal against Wolves. He beat two defenders before lifting it over the goalkeeper from the tightest of angles. It was properly like a breathtaking goal. He had a similarly ridiculous run against Leeds, assisting for Ethan Wheatley that time. He's, he's Foden-esque Lacey. He turned 16 in mid-April, scored United second in uh, the most recent game, a 4-3 win at Sunderland. The other scorers were Jay Fitzgerald, James Nolan and Ethan Wheatley. The under-21s, meanwhile, played on Friday, drew 2-2 against Spurs, Noam Ran and Joe Hugel, the scorers. Jack, any standout loanee news this week? I saw Charlie Savage was awarded goal of the season at Forest Green Rovers, relegated Forest Green Rovers, it should be said, but any other standouts? Yeah, he absolutely was. No loanees doing massive things in their games. A lot of minutes got played. Uh, Ahmed played the full 90, Alvaro Fernandez, Ethan Laird played the full 90, as did Deshaun Barnard in, uh, for Portsmouth. 
no one really stood out. Ahmed, there's a lovely video going around on Twitter that I'm sure a lot of our listeners have seen of him lapping up the applause at the Stadium of Lights. Sunderland fans gave him a wonderful send-off. Not just him, but he seemed to be really enjoying that that moment. And you know, he's been a huge part of Sunderland having a good season. And they still are just about in the playoff race. I think the last day of the championship season, is it today as we're recording or is it this weekend? I'm not sure. This weekend. But it's very close. And Sunderland are still in with a, an outside chance of making it into the playoffs. Yeah. Alvaro Fernandez is Preston are out of it. They got beat 4-1 by Sheffield United this week. The other one I think we haven't talked about too much throughout the season is Deshaun Barnard. He's again played the 490 for Portsmouth this weekend. He's had a very good loan spell down on the South Coast. He's you know, he cemented himself in their first team almost immediately when he came in. He's played mainly at centre back, a little bit at right back as well. You know, he's been getting rave reviews from Portsmouth manager throughout since he joined in January. I think it's been a a really worthwhile loan spell for him. Yeah, he's 22 years old. Bernard United. He had played for Chelsea before he joined United a few years ago. He you might remember he made his debut against Astana in Kazakhstan. Scored an old goal in that game, a very unfortunate one. But he's 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 done really well in the youth teams. He's had loan moves at Salford City first in League Two, then jumped up to a Championship with Hull, where he did very well, but then fell out of favour when they changed manager. And then this season. Uh, joined Portsmouth having to drop back down into League One where yeah as you're saying he's, he's done well again I don't think he'll make it at United but he's a Clearly a, a, a talented young defender, still 22, plenty of time to kind of grow into into things and probably one United will be looking to move on in the summer and could get not. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise you if he ends up back in the championship next season, not on a permanent move. Yeah, not a massive fee, but just something to keep the keep the finances ticking over is is what I would expect and hope United will be doing. Um, but yeah, he's, he's doing very well at Portsmouth. Right, another two game week before an incredible between West Ham and whatever game comes after that. I think it's Wolves. Uh, we have a we have a week off, a full week off, but not this week. Brighton, and it's a difficult one as well, isn't it? Brighton and West Ham away because United didn't drop points to Spurs. Sorry, because United didn't lose to Spurs and avoided defeat, and and so it's not a six pointer, but that kind of thing. And then beat Villa, who are also coming up quick behind. This week feels slightly less defining than it might otherwise have done. What would you be expecting and hoping for out of these two games? Because Brighton seeking revenge, just having had their biggest Premier League win ever, 6-0 against Wolves, is going to be a tough, tough game. (laughs) 6-0 against Wolves with basically their sort of second string 11 as well. Well, I mean, we also play Wolves in a couple of weeks, so let's hope they can repeat that performance then. I think this week, I think for United, the, the key is win at least one of these two games. Obviously, you want to be going and winning both, but playing away from home, especially against Brighton, which is going to be a very tough game. West Ham have sort of pulled themselves out of the relegation fight a little bit, so maybe a little bit less intense of a game as it looked like it might be sort of a month ago. But at this point in the season for United, given you know we're now seven points ahead of Liverpool with a game in hand, I believe, as sort of the next closest challengers, you know, it's going to take a, something really quite drastic for United not to hold on to that lead. And so I think because of that, the the focus is win at least one of these games. Three points from these two will be enough to kind of keep that lead get a draw, healthy enough. Get a draw at Brighton and we should be beating West Ham away. Yeah. Because yes, they might be kind of in a relegation fight and that might, might make them work hard, but they're not good enough and we should be beating them. Yeah. And it's David Moyes and his record against top teams is terrible <laughs> and we should be making that carry on um, and a draw at Brighton would be 
a pretty good result. They've they've, they've yeah. had some poor. I mean, they've after we beat them in the semi final, they then lost away at Forest. Um, and Spurs managed to beat them and they've been held by Brentford at home. They're not infallible, but they're a great team, as we saw in the cup semi-final, as we saw when they beat us earlier in the season. Um, and if uh, I think United have a chance there, but we're going to have to be very on it because the way that they play out from the back and they managed to play through us a couple of times at Wembley could be could be very dangerous. Yeah, and a ground that we don't... It's weird, we, we've actually won there a fair amount before last season we had won there a fair amount but it felt like games we'd always struggled in and obviously got trounced last season they beat us earlier this year so it's been a quite a back and forth sort of history in this fixture but certainly a team that I, I don't think United stylistically match up against very well like you mentioned they are a team that I think can really exploit our weaknesses I think you'll probably see United go long quite a lot as we did in the, the FA Cup semi-final really try and focus on stopping Brighton playing through the middle of the pitch but you know we have the quality to win certainly and I think you'll probably see us play on the counter-attack with a bit more I'd say with a bit more sort of purpose than we did in the FA Cup semi-final it felt like even when we did win the ball back there everything was a little slow I think you'll see us be try and be very clinical on the counter-attack and happily sit without the ball for a lot of the game yeah I think we'll see probably see two quite different performances mainly defined by yeah I expect United will go direct to avoid the embarrassment as what happened in the home game yeah against Brighton yeah. and then away at West Ham will probably return to that um trying to play out from the back which we we may have some success at doing let's see how it goes but, I mean um, you get get four points from those two games even if Liverpool win who are now the closest sort of challengers for the top four even if they win both of their games that we they play in the same time is still six points ahead then with four games to go with Liverpool only having three games to go so then it's just two more wins out of those last four and top four sewn up that'll do and what a positive note to end on three wins re- realistically to the end of the season should be enough for United to yeah. get top four and I I would hope that United can win at West Ham at home to Wolves and at home to Chelsea yeah. and that's forgetting Fulham at home and Bournemouth away yeah um, so yeah pretty confident now and that's um, yeah what a what a good season it's been disappointment in the Europa League aside you'd love to see us get third yeah. I think would would be the big thing but even if you end up fourth no, fourth should be relatively sewn up assuming that we can get a couple yeah, of decent third's still in our hands isn't it because we have that game in hand on Newcastle so um, yeah let's see what happens thank yeah. you very much for listening everyone for more from us throughout the week we won't be recording after the Brighton game we'll be back next week after the West Ham game so for Jack's thoughts on that game you can find him on Twitter at at UTD Tate T-A-I-T you can find me at Harry Robinson 64 and the podcast itself at UTD Weekly Pod P-O-D at the end there that's where you can head for information about how to become a patron for as little as a pound fifty a month and get access to those bonus Q&As but also ad free early release episodes every week um otherwise if you want to support the show in a non-monetary way which is of course absolutely fine then leaving us a review on whatever app you use would also be brilliant but thank you for listening we really appreciate your support and have a great week goodbye Network. 
It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.